Jonah chapter 3, very appropriate verse to look at tonight. This is the very first day of the new year. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, did I say 3? Jonah chapter 2, sorry, Jonah chapter 2, verse number 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now let's take a look at chapter 3 and verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. If you notice, that's exactly what God gave the instruction for Jonah to do on the, uh, the, the uh, first chapter. This is what he told Jonah to do. Exactly, word perfect. Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So God had a message for them and commissioned Jonah, except he didn't want to do that. He kind of wanted to get backslid and out of God's will, and so he did, and that's our choice, by the way. We could do whatever we want right here, right now, because it is our choice, and, and we have that prerogative. God gives us a long leash. He gives us a sovereign will, a will that even can go contrary to him. Uh, he told the, the Jesus uh, uh, dealt with the Pharisees and, and talked about their uh, fighting against the light and against the Spirit of God. Uh, Peter said, uh, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so also do ye. They were resisting whatever God wanted, resisting God's will. We could resist God's will. Jonah resisted God's will. And what a mess. What a mess he made of his life. You know that whole story. We got a way of messing things up, don't we? I mean, when we do things our way, we really do. We, we can mess things up royally. I don't know about you, but I've messed things up in my past. I mean, really made such a mess of things where things stink and they don't, and it's not right and you don't feel right and you seem like you just can't make it right. Uh, sometimes we mess up jobs or relationships. Our own lives, we, we really kind of uh, do a number on that. But today is the first day of a brand new year. What would you give for a new start, a fresh start? Well, we've got it. We've got it today, and that is from here on, it doesn't have to be like 2019. It could be 2020, a different year. And so uh, we've got that first day of a brand new year. Um, Jonah was given this fresh start after his disobedience, God's chastening, chapter number one, chapter number two. Um, but God has a way of making you walk in his will. He just does. He's, uh, for his children, he can get us to give us to give him our attention even if we don't want to give him our attention and see this is the thing folks nothing 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 is out of reach or off limits to god in his purposes whatever he wants to do in our lives nothing is beyond him to touch or to put his finger on or put his hand on if it means our obedience if it means our being right, getting things right, doing right, which is very scary. If you have nothing that, that's of value to you, well, then, hey, then, uh, that's okay. It doesn't matter what happens outside of your own life. But when you have loved ones, when you have things or possessions or a reputation or whatever, and then all of a sudden, uh, things are dear to you. And you realize, wow, God can actually touch these things, which means so much to me. He sure can. 
He can t- and he does nothing, folks, nothing is off limits <coughs> to his purposes in our lives. He is ultimately concerned with the end result, our obedience. He wants us to obey. He wants us to be in line. He wants us to have joy, to have a good relationship with him. And so <coughs> that's his end. That's what, where he's going with the things that are going on in our lives. In our story, God used a storm and a fish. In your story, God may use a setback, a loss, uh, some kind of a contact, a rearrangement, or whatever to get your attention and your obedience. But know this, God does act on behalf of his children. He's not doing that because he wants to be cruel. You know, uh, I might have thought that when I was a kid growing up that my parents just wanted to, you know, punish me because... They were mean. They were parents. (laughs) No, not really. It's because they wanted me to be a better me. And I learned that when I had kids. And if you have children and it's natural, it's a God-given relationship, then you know that, parents. You want your kids to prosper. You want them to do well. And so you're going to be chastening them. You're going to be getting in their face, getting in their lives, so that you bring them around to being where they should be, not for your sake, but for your kid's sake, which is the way that God works on behalf of his children. See, God is not a silent, impotent grandfather that just sits back there in a chair and whatever happens, happens, and, you know, he's good with everything. No, no, he doesn't endure rebellion and wicked disobedience from his children. He doesn't, never has, never will. Don't believe me? Just try him. Just try him. And he'll... uh, Get in your face real quick as, his, as your heavenly father. See, God gets his kids to repent by chastening or sometimes incapacitation or sometimes he puts us on the shelf, cold storage, or sometimes he just removes us totally from this world. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, the Bible says that he scourges every son that he receives. There is no child of God that he doesn't send to the woodshed, bring to the woodshed, meet you in the woodshed. <laughs> that's just, uh, that's, that's life. That's, that shows that you're saved, is that you get blasted every once in a while. I, I, I kind of worry about sometimes people are so concerned about presenting a good presentation to their parents, to others, to a reputation around them. They never want to be seen as bad. We're all sinners. See, the thing about it is, we are all sinners. We all fail, and we all have to go to the woodshed. We all have to get to the place to where we uh, uh, deal with the Lord, or he deals with us, and he chastens us. He chastens every son whom he receives. There's not a one of us that didn't face that and is bettered by it, actually, but we all face that. I said sometimes he, he uh, will incapacitate us. Psalm 51, verse 8, David said here, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. God breaks my bones? <laughs> yeah. You know, they say that a, a good shepherd, if they have a lamb that is going to be continually going out uh, away from the flock and getting into danger, getting into danger and, and walking off, walking off, walking off, the, 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 uh, the shepherd will, as a, as a young lamb, it'll break a bone or put his bones out of joint so he can't walk, he can't be wandering off. Oh, that's painful. But it's for his own good. And that's what David said. 
Lord, you want me to rejoice, but so the bones that you broke will rejoice. Let me be right with you. So sometimes he'll do that. He'll, he'll get us to the place where we can't, we can't wander. Um, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection lest by any, by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, boy, I'd, I don't want to be on the shelf. I don't want to be in cold storage someplace where God's not going to use me. That's the worst thing in the world to see somebody else being used and God active in the lives of others. You go to a service and man, this person's blessed and this person's blessed and it's like, whew, goes over, you're not even affected. What happened there? What happened? Uh, isn't God speaking? Well, yeah, he wants to speak to everybody. He wants everybody to have a, a relationship with him like, like it should be, but <clears throat> we, we get into an uh, area of disobedience. All of a sudden, we don't hear anything. We don't, we don't feel his presence. We don't have him there before us. And we don't, what happened? Well, we're, we're kind of set off to the side. And like I said, sometimes if, if the lamb doesn't obey, doesn't obey, doesn't obey, doesn't obey, knows it's going to be trouble, well, then he has mutton. <laughs> sometimes it's the sin unto death. And <clears throat> that's where a believer is removed from this life, going in front of the presence of the Heavenly Father right now. We're not going to mess around. We're not going to do this. And God says, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have it anymore. Causing enough embarrassment. I'm going to take you home. And it's called the sin unto death. <clears throat> of course, it didn't go that far for Jonah because Jonah, and it seemed like it, it, it was there. It was just about there. Where it says, well, if you throw me overboard, then, you know, because God's done with me and I'm not submitting. And so, but anyway, it was in those three days and three nights that he was in the bale, uh, whale's belly that, uh, that he did do his repenting. But anyway, get to, to get to Jonah's second chance, okay, he gets to chapter 3, verse 1. God says the very same thing he said way back in chapter 1. Exactly the same thing, exactly the same commission. And God was saying, I want to get you back on track. Jonah, I want, you, I want you to get back on track. But before he got back on track, because some of you might think, man, I, my life has been a mess this last year, whatever. Let's, let's just get back on track. Let's just get back on track. But God has a way of bringing us through some things first before we're back on track. And you can't, there's no shortcut. There is no shortcut to just... Uh, you know, God, let's just skip that step and let's just get back on track. No, no. To get Jonah's second chance in our text, he had to come to his surrender in chapter number two. There's no second chance until there's a divine, decisive victory where God wins in our lives and we come to acknowledge that. I've told you about a, a, a roommate that I had once um, he was, uh, my sister led him to the Lord. He was from Chicago and went to our church and is a good friend of mine. Um, he's now in heaven. He was a pastor for years. But uh, he, um, when we were roommates in Bible college, he came and he said, <clears throat> Rich, please forgive me. And I said, well, sure, Pops. What's, what's wrong? What, what, what happened? He says, well, I, I, I did something and I just need you to forgive me. I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. What did you do? He says, none of your business. So I said, forget it. I'm not forgiving you. <laughs> Tell me what it is, and I'd be glad to forgive you. And he says, well, then forget it. <laughs> so he died without getting forgiveness. 
You know what? Sometimes if we're like that way with the Lord, he doesn't deal that way. He doesn't deal that way. He, he will go no further <clears throat> until we come to the right attitude. He's not going to put Jonah on the second, you know, uh, second chance, fresh start, until he goes through some things and acknowledges some things, and he did that fully in chapter 2. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So what are the elements of God's second chances? We want to get to a second chance. 2020 is right here. I want a new start. Okay, how do I get there? Well, first, if we've been off, if we're off track, whatever, we want to get on track, then God has to redirect us. That means we've been going in the wrong direction. That means if he's had to chase us, if he has had to get a hold of us, that means something's off here. He's trying to get our attention. And so it's called discipline. And like I say, everybody goes through it. It's not something that's weird or wrong or whatever. Don't be ashamed of it because uh, that's part of growing. That's part of being a Christian. Every Christian goes through that. Every, remember, every son that he receives. By the way, that's a good indication that you're lost. If you can do something wrong, get away with it, cover it up, nobody know, and everything's good. No, it's not good. It's not good. Um, in the, in the, uh, uh, the short story by Edgar Allan Poe, um, uh, The Telltale Heart, it was about this guy that murdered somebody. He's crazy. He was a crazy guy. He murdered somebody, and he, he cuts the guy up and, and buries him underneath his, his planks in his kitchen. And uh, <clears throat> somebody had heard about that, and so uh, early in the morning, the policemen come to go investigate. And so they're sitting there around his table, and, uh, and his crazy guy is thinking, hey, it got away with it, all this kind of stuff. This is weird. <laughs> it's, it's macabre. <laughs> I, I like Edgar Allan Poe, but anyway, <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> so anyway, he, he's sitting there on top of this dead body underneath of the, of the planks, and he says, I got away with it, got away with it. And then he starts hearing something, and it's boom, boom. And it's this, this beating, and he hears it louder and louder. Actually, probably what happened physiologically, the guy's you know, nervous and hearing his own heartbeat or feeling his own pulse. And he's, but he's thinking that it's this, this heart that's underneath the, the, the planks, and it's getting louder and louder and louder and louder, and he just can't stand it anymore. And these guys are there, oblivious. They're about to go. And he just rips up the, the, the floor, and he says, there it is, and the beating of his hideous heart. Anyway, um, in that story, uh, here's, a, here's a crazy guy that was trying to get away with it. But see, the thing about it is, I'm not talking about crazy people. I'm talking about anybody. If you are a believer, you can't just bury something and forget it, think that it's gone. It's going to show up again. God's going to bring it up. God's going to deal with you on that subject with that thing. If you can bury something and everything's good and just walk away, you ain't saved. Because the Lord deals with every child in the same manner in discipline. You can't. You cannot. Let me put this down. Make it, make it very, very clear with every believer. You can't get away with anything. Not as a believer. Not dealing with the Lord. Because that's, that's where we are. You, you, you have to deal with your sin. And, and it's, it's a, a, a called discipline. So um, looking at the, the story here where God had to redirect 
Jonah, he had to deal with him in discipline. Without the loving preventative actions of the Lord, Jonah would have gone on indefinitely away from the father. You know, he was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish, the other direction. And you know what? If the Lord didn't stop him, get in his way, get in his face, he would have been indefinitely going on into Tarshish. There is no believer that can do that. Not a one. Because the Lord does deal with us in discipline. Loving discipline because, see, God loved him too much to allow him to continue on in his failure, in, in his sin. And God loves you too much to allow that. Now, discipline is a really strong word. There are times that such harsh measures are really not necessary to reroute saints. In these times, a mere redirecting leadership is sufficient. Maybe we're going off track, and God says, uh, no, don't go that way. And for the obedient, for the ones that are paying attention, they say, thank you, God, for directing me there. I will change my direction and go the other way. Easy, simple. But if somebody wants to really go that way and going to ignore the tap on the shoulder, no, that's not good. Don't go that way. And you want to ignore that? Well, then what the next thing that happens is God speaks a little bit louder. And if that's ignored, then he speaks a little bit louder. If that's ignored, he will shout. If that's ignored, then he'll get in your face and he'll trip you up. And if, if you're continually going to be going on that direction, then he's going to maybe break bones, be drastic. And if that doesn't work, then, like I say, that's the, the progression of Scripture. There's a sin unto death. But, and there was times that if, if you just pay attention to the Lord, then you won't have to go through much because it's just a redirecting. Paul's um, uh, example, when the Holy Spirit led him, and what we refer to as the Macedonian call, Acts chapter 16, you remember that story, uh, now, when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the uh, region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go. That means they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonian and prayed him, saying, Come over, and the Macedonian help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. So here's, here's the situation. He's looking for God's will. He's wanting to go God's will. And he goes, tries this door, locked. Tries this door, locked. Tries this door. And he can't go here, he can't go there, but, he, but he's actively, he wants to be directed. He doesn't know anything. And then God directs him. And he says, no, no, this is the way to go. Gives him leadership, gives him light, and no problem. No problem. He's wanting to do what God wants him to do. They were asking. They were looking. They were willing to do the Lord's will. Uh, God doesn't make it hard to understand his will. But there is a proving. There is a learning. There is attaining the will of the Lord by our effort. And that's what the Bible says. But we don't, guys, we don't have to be blasted. We don't have to be smitten. You don't have to be burnt alive or swallowed whole by a whale for us to get to do his will. We can be whispered to. A stubborn beast is used to teach this example as a, a, a light guidance in Psalms 32, verse number 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee, God says to us, his believers, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule with ha which hath no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Guide thee with mine eye. 
you ever get the stink eye from your mom? <laughs> You're doing something wrong, and, and she just, she didn't have, to, didn't have to swing or throw anything. No, no, just give that stink eye, you know, and you, you get it. You understand. Mm -hmm. It's like Nancy Pelosi when they started clapping after the, she goes, mm, and they go, <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> so see, the, being, guided, the, being guided by his eye is much better than being guided by the bit. You know what the bit is. The bit is that thing that you're gonna horse your mouth and it got your finger. So you wanna go this way, you got pull on there. It must be difficult. It must be painful. I don't know, but they put it in a place where you know the, the horse can't ignore it. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. He's saying, be a not as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle lest they come near to thee. There were horseback riding ranches in Chicago, or near Chicago where I was from, where tons of city dwellers abused and forced horses into submission because they didn't know how to ride horses. And the, the horses that were from those uh, uh, places where you can rent a, a horse for a while, an hour, two hours, and... Uh, you get on them, and the people on those horses had no idea what, what a horse was, <laughs> which, which end made, <laughs> had it go, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> those horses were, I mean, they were terrible. They were awful. And, and somebody told me, I got on one of those horses, wouldn't pay attention. I'm pulling here and there. wouldn't pay attention to nothing. They said, take a stick, a branch, and, and hold it. In you don't even have to use the branch. Hold it in front of their face or in their eye when they see a branch. All of a sudden, yes, sir, what do you want? This way, that way, anything, you know, because of the abuse that those horses went through. You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's the force that was making a stubborn horse to do whatever, it's, which was, it was wrong, you know. I don't know anything about horses except, you know, see Mercy and JD every once in a while riding around here, you know. <laughs> That's really cool. You know, I'm in my office and all these big horses of the apocalypse. I think, you know, the Lord's coming back. What is this? You know, there are horses right outside the window. And they're, they're really cool, by the way. And Mercy is doing well on that, you know, her, her uh, uh, escapades there. But listen, a, a good horse is just a little, a little bit of, a, you know, put it on the side of the neck here or there. I don't know. She could probably get up here and tell us a little bit about, you know, a good trained horse, it doesn't take much. It's not like, come on, go this way, go this way. But you know what? That's what, that's what God is saying here in this, this example. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like a stubborn animal that you got to, who's doing that? That's the Lord. The Lord doing that in our lives. And he will. He does. He'll cause us pain to bring us to the place where we need to go. And that's, but he says, you know what? You could avoid that. Just by being guided by his eye. You know, if he says, or he says, hmm, and then you, you, you get in line. I'd much rather, I'd much rather be a horse directed like this and this rather than, you know, or, or get a stick, you know. <clears throat> the reins on the neck of an obedient horse is all that is sufficient for direction. Of course, if that doesn't work, then the bit works. And if that doesn't work, then the whip works. And if that doesn't work, then the glue factory will squeeze them into submission in those little small tubes. 
But the verse speaks of avoiding all that if guidance is secured by facial approval or disapproval of the Lord, being guided by his eye, guided by his smile or his frown. You know what? We could, we could learn that in 2020. Just be guided by his, his facial uh, approval. Anyway, so let's get back to the things that, that, that gave Jonah a second chance. First, it was a redirection. God had to redirect him. There's got to be an admission, an acceptance of that discipline or that redirection. You've got to admit it. You've got to come to the Lord. It's a decisive victory. And then number two is a surrender. Jonah had to get to the place of surrender. Before we could get to the fresh start, we've got to surrender to the Lord. God requires. Requ it's not that he desires. He requires a decisive victory in a, in a, a contest between his will and our will. A complete and a total unconditional surrender is what God requires. He never goes halfway with anything. God won't accept a half-hearted capitulation. Okay, God, I'll do this, but I'm still holding on to this. That's not going to work. You don't deal with God that way. You might deal with a human that way. You don't deal with God that way. There's an example. I can give a bunch of examples. We don't have time for, for much, but uh, the Syrophoenician woman, you remember, in the Gospels? Oh, my goodness, Matthew chapter 15. You know, she came to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, son of David. Well, she was an, an Israelite. She was a Syrophoenician. She was a, a heathen, one of, the, one of the outcasts, a Gentile. But she was pretending like she was a Jew. Son of David, oh, you know, you know the, the prince of Israel, help us. You know, we need help. We nothing. She wasn't part of that. But she was pretending like. She was pretending like she was an Israelite, and God gave her nothing. The Lord was silent to her. And here's the, the disciples are watching what's going on here, and the Lord is kind of ignoring her. He's coming back and coming back, saying, Lord, help. Lord, do this. Lord, my, my daughter, help me, help me, help me. Is ignoring her. Did you ever pray and get ignored? Did you ever pray and wonder if you're just, you know, bouncing off the ceiling and nothing's going on? What's going on here? Well, she was praying, and she was asking Jesus for help, and he was ignoring her. And they were saying, well, Lord, do you want us to sure away? She looks like she's bothering you. And you remember that whole situation where he says, it's not meat for me to give that which should be the children's to dogs or to those outside of the commonwealth of Israel, those outside of the children of God, because she wasn't. He nailed it. He knew who she was. And then she was found out. She figured it out right there. She said, okay, jigs up. You, you got it. That's right. I am a Gentile. She said, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the tables. How about just giving me a Gentile, a crumb? I could take that for your mercy and your, your, your power in my life and for my daughter. And you know what? When she, when she surrendered, when she admitted who she was immediately, that's when he turned and said, okay, your faith has you know, made it to where your daughter's going to be... Um, and she was. Wow, how about that? <clears throat> the woman with the issue of blood. Luke chapter 8. <laughs> Here's that. She's in this crowd and she thinks, I hate, I hate being the, the center of attention. I'm just going to go and I'm going to touch 
the, the hem of his garment. And that's all I need to do because he's Jesus. He's got the power. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment to be healed from this, this uh, issue of blood that I've had for years and years and years. Can't get any help from. But I know Jesus could help me. So here's this crowd. And so she's going around, you know, here's, she's just, uh, you know, doing it right until here Jesus comes. And she could grab it, touch it, touches the hem of his garment. She's healed. She goes, ha, ha. Without being seen, and Jesus stops and turns around and says, Who touched me? <laughs> ah, spotlights right on her. <laughs> she would be known or left ill. You see, Jesus doesn't deal with how we want the situation to go. He does it the way he does it and how he wants it. And it, and it requires a total surrender. <clears throat> the, the lost... They, they wield an unyielding, an insubordination to God's will. They, they just don't want to surrender to God. In the tribulation, Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, the Bible says, And when men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God. Now, the, the God was doing this to bring about their repentance. He wasn't chastening the world, bringing judgment on the world just so he can, you know, early damn them. No, he was... He was trying to bring them to the place of repentance, to break, to, 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 to crack. He scorched them with great heat, but they didn't turn. They didn't repent. They blasphemed the name of, the, of God more, which has power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Should bring them to, to repentance, right? No. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not. You see, God was after repentance, but you know what? If they weren't gonna if they weren't gonna repent, then there's he wouldn't turn down the, the temperature. But God's children cannot be indefinitely opposed to God's will. They face a tougher and a tougher chastisement until sin unto death. That means if you don't go God's way, he will get his way out of you. He knows how to bring that about. And if you refuse, if you refuse to bend, then eventually it's a sin unto death. If a man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is, although there is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. You get to that po point where God's done with you, and he says, nope, just come on home. It's time, time to go. I'm not going to allow this foolishness. I'm not going to allow this embarrassment, this public embarrassment. It's kind of like a child that goes out to uh, QFC, and, and he's got this little kid that's going into the, uh, you know, whatever department and throwing bread all over the place, you know. And, hey, don't do that. And they're still throwing bread all over the place, and you get mad, and you look at the kid, and don't do that, and it's throwing bread all over the place. So if you just go ahead and whip the kid right down there, you're going to jail. So he said, no, that's going to happen. Come here. We're going home. With my kids, it was, we're going to the bathroom. <laughs> they knew what that meant. <laughs> we're going to, away from everybody else, we're going to lock the door, and we're going to take care of this thing. <laughs> which really scarred them every time they think about going to the bathroom. No, no, I don't want to go to the bathroom. Anyway, um, so, but that's really, that's the sin unto death, is that when, when the kid is not paying attention, 
the Lord brings him to the place where he says, okay, that's it. We're, we're not doing, doing this anymore. We're coming home. So it's after a surrender that saints get a second chance. I want to get a second chance. I want to have a clean slate. I want to, I want to go move forward. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff this last year I don't like. I don't like what I've done. I don't like my performance. I don't like, I thought I was going to do this. I thought I was going to be able to, and I thought I was going to, and I'm not where I, sh I should have been. Okay, I want a second chance. So if I have the chastising, the redirection of God, and this, my surrender, my attitude, and then I can get to the place to where I can get a, se a second chance. And by the way, sometimes we don't always get that second chance in the same capacity. Some are disqualified from the exact opportunities that was before them, uh, that were before them. Either, you know, sometimes there's pastors or deacons or uh, they have qualifications that, you know, a person can get to the place where, well, they can't do that. Sometimes there's consequences of sin that has, has got to be endured. Even after forgiveness. You know, this is what some people don't realize. They were talking about cheap grace the other day. People don't realize that if a person sins, they can be pardoned, they can be forgiven of that sin, but they still have to deal with the consequences of that sin, even after they've been forgiven. Well, pastor, that's, been under, that's under the blood. Well, yeah, right, it's under the blood, but does that mean that you don't have to deal with the consequences of sin? Psalm 51, that's David getting right with Beth, from Beth, that uh, thing with Bathsheba, remember? And man, Psalm 51, an excellent acknowledgement, right attitude. He, he came to, to deal with that before God. He repented totally, fully. God did forgive him. He asked for that joy that he lost, and that joy did come back, all of that. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that, that happened when he repented. <clears throat> but David's family life didn't change. The three things that Nathan the prophet said that were going to be a, a, a chastisement to, um, to David, the three things did not go away. His child's death, his own family strife, and a failure in testimony with others submitting then or not submitting to the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, 10. Now therefore the sword, this is what was told David. After he repented, folks, therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. And then verse 14 when he repents, <clears throat> howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Wow. He still had to deal with that? Yeah, he still had to deal with that. It's called consequences of sin. Folks, we don't dictate the effect of sin. That's a, that's a given. That's in stone. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't change, and we can't get, get out of that. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, I just sin and get right with it, you know, and then... and. Uh, you sin that grace may abound. No, no, it does hurt. See, you, you know what, what happened here when Nathan said, you're given an occasion for the enemies to blaspheme. What they were doing, they were looking at David, and because of his hypocrisy, because of him be, supposed to be a believer, and his life was in such a, a mess that it was that he, that he allowed to happen, 
there were others. What does it say? It says, the enemies of the Lord now have occasion to blaspheme. How many others would have been saved had he not displayed this hypocrisy in his own life? See, because others are affected by believers' victorious life, in Psalm 51, verse number 12, this is what David said himself, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Did you know that others are saved or not saved by the power of God in our lives, and, and we display that? or we, You know, it's how you live will give that taste, give that, that uh, desire for others to come to Christ by, by us. And if we live hypocritical lives. Folks, we're talking about an eternal consequence. Not just here now, not just, we're talking about an eternal consequence. Sinners shall be converted when, when believers are right with God. And, and what happened there was, oh man, it was, it was awful. So anyway, after the uh, chastening and the surrender then we get that fresh start. Thank the Lord for that. And thank the Lord we can, we can get a fresh start. Once divine discipline or redirection is applied and an unconditional surrender is, is secured, then God gives us the second chance. Thank the Lord for that. Um, there's others in the Bible that got a second chance. Jacob, you remember Jacob? And God blessed him, I mean, in, in ways that he was not, he was not worthy of any of the blessings of God and God blessed him over and over and over again. And then his life got into such a mess. He gets away from God again, and, he, and his children are going awry, and all kinds of junk happens in his life. In Genesis 35, when God gets a hold of him again, and he says here, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. That's the time that he was right with God. That's the time that he wrestled with God. That's the time that God did some wonderful things. That's the time he had a relationship that was amazing with God. And he says, you know what? You've gotten away. You are so far away. You are, so, you are in the distant, far country. Get back to me pronto. Stat. Right now. Let's do this. That's what God says. He says, I want you to get back at, to be at that place. Then Jacob said unto his household and all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise. Go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And he had a second chance. I tell you, Jacob could then get back started with, with walking with the Lord like he should have those, what was it, 17 years or so that, that he was away from God. Wow. You got a second chance. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God gives second chances? David, you know, we talked about David and after this whole thing with Bathsheba and Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know, all of those things happen when he got right with God. There's a time of darkness or a time that he was awake, but then he got right with God. Peter, after he, he uh, denied the Lord. Oh, man, talk about a painful, painful experience. I think... I think the reason why this is so painful is because 
Peter was an idiot so many times. <laughs> and you know who else was an idiot so many times? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to actually fill in the blanks, but <laughs> you're looking at one. And here's, here's Peter when he messed up as he did. John 21, 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. God, you'd use me. You, you really would. You'd use me again. But Lord, after all of that, that you know, it's not, it's not like I... Not like I just made a mistake and turned around and fell into a hole and they didn't see where I was going. No, I saw everything. I did it. That was me. That was me, God. And you're going to use me? He said, yeah, I want to use you. Let's get, let's get going here. John Mark, after John Mark, when he was, you know, hot and cold, he started with uh, uh, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas, and then he finally got, you know, homesick, went home to Mama. When he did, Paul says, I ain't taking that kid. Ain't no way. He's not going on the next journey. I'm going, and we don't need anybody that's a, that's a novice. We don't need, it's not, he's not any good for the ministry. He's, he's a detriment, and he, man, he was, and Barnabas says, no, no, there's some good in him. There's some good in it. Let's, Paul, let's take him along. And so Paul took Silas, Barnabas took, uh, uh, took John Mark. And then later on, after Barnabas proved that, he was right that John Mark did have some, some worth to him. And he, he proved himself to be a, a blessing to Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul's ready to die. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, that is John Mark. That's the kid that failed. That's the kid that I would not go on another journey with. But he says, <clears throat> take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Hey, the kid had a second chance. See, God's word doesn't change, and, and God's mercy and his love never fades. Souls are still dependent, but you get another opportunity to serve him today, this year. This year, what do you say that we arise and go according to the word of the Lord and do what we're supposed to do 2020, all right? This is what, what happened to Jonah. And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah. <laughs> Arise. Let's, let's get moving. Lord, thank you so much for your word.